so you're very welcome to the second uh, episode of the Clash Act podcast. Uh, joining me this week on the podcast is brother Dan Kilkenny, heard of legend Adrian Rowland. Adrian, you're very welcome to the podcast this evening. Thanks very much, Eddie. The legend bit I don't know, but thanks for the introduction, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ronnie, uh, we, we cut in, there was a great bit of action last weekend. Uh, the two All-Ireland hurling semi-finals uh, played out. Obviously, a bit of disappointment for your own Kilkenny getting beaten by Waterford. Um, we, we, we'll start there with that game, I suppose. Uh, the Waterford people went in with a lot of confidence into the game, um, into the semi-final. I thought there was a real air around Waterford all week leading up to the match. And unfortunately for Kenny, it, it, it proved to be a confidence that was that was well well watched by Waterford people. Yeah, um, I suppose to be fair to Waterford under new management, um, Liam Cahill, Mikey Beavens and Stephen Frampton and Stephen Malumphy. Um, I know Liam very well from uh, or days, so um, we're we're in WhatsApp groups together. So as the lad says, we avoided each other in the last week or so in the WhatsApp group. But um, to be fair, he had he came from a great background as regards training teams, and they were quietly confident. And I knew from speaking and listening to him um, leading into the game, you know, especially after running Limerick so close. Um, okay, the beat the beat Cork got that monkey off their back. They hadn't won a game in two, three years, uh, championship and uh, championship match. So the fact that they beat Cork, great confidence, and they were very close. They went to beat Limerick and Torres in the Munster final and came back um, disillusioned, I suppose, or disappointed at the fact that they didn't beat them. When most people thought, "What, what for running going up?" I suppose to fulfil the fixture. So, so from then on, and as we know, the games came thick and heavy. From then on, they had that confidence within the group. And obviously the players, who if they had any doubts, which they didn't, if they had any doubts about the setup, they obviously grew in confidence. And that was a warning sign. And that was the beauty for Kilkenny, I thought, that there was a warning sign. Um, so it didn't come as a surprise to the hurling man that follies hurling in Kilkenny. And in, um, you know, with the warning was there, we knew Watford would treat him seriously and Brian Cody and the selectors did treat him seriously. And um, to be fair to Watford in the, on the day, then the tsunami came at us in the second half and we weren't able to stop it. Yeah, and uh, Ronnie, yes, like, you, you take the game on its merits. Um, you know, Kilkenny were strong favourites going into the game and I know it's fair to say Waterford came out strong, but you, you wouldn't have to question what happened. Kilkenny were leading by nine points at one stage in that game and it's, it's happened a couple of times during the year this year with Kenny, they were 16 points up against Dublin, uh, threw away that lead. The Galway game, okay, fair enough, it was a different type of a match, but I think it covered over a lot of cracks. But they're, they're nine points up against Waterford. You know, that's not a Kenny trait to throw away a lead like that. Normally, Kenny, when they have you like that, they have you down, they have you by the throat, finish the job. And, and for whatever reason, what, are you going to credit it all down to Waterford or are you going to question maybe Kenny's second half performance? Well, I suppose going back to your, your your first part of the question, the Dublin game. Um, the Dublin game, I suppose, and I, I was lucky working with the KCLR Sport that I got to commentate in that game. And Kilkenny were awesome in the first <coughs> the first fifteen minutes. You know what I mean? Or the first half, I suppose. And then for fifteens in this, uh, the second third quarter, as we know it, it was a bit of ducking and diving. And then again, a tsunami came in Dublin, and we couldn't stop it. Um, the Galway match, I think, was just the pure genius of Richie Hogan, in my own personal opinion. Turned that game, as well as a lot of the guys picking up their form. Um, but that, you know, that special talent that we talk about. Every team and every walk of life, in any sport, you always have to have a special talent. And I suppose we had it on the day in Richie. But going back then to the Watford, what happened on the day, um, <clears throat> 
we started off very well, of course. We got two opportunist goals. It wasn't it because we were hurling so well. It looked like water in the first 15 minutes were playing in like a rabbit in headlights. They made a huge amount of mistakes, ran into corners, ran into trouble, ran the ball out over the line. And then, just then, we just again, we got it, we came in at the half time, went to point up Owen Cody, got a great point after half time to make it eight points of a lead at that stage. And you'd say, yeah, we're heading in the right direction. And then the goal turned, Shane Bennett's goal uh, changed the whole game. To say that, Kilkenny teams in the past, yeah, you're right, would have held on to that lead. But what we must remember, this is not the Kilkenny teams of the past. This is the new Kilkenny team. And this is a team that's full of uh, youth, uh, a lot of inexperience. And yeah, uh, uh, flashes of brilliance and experience in TJ, uh, Buckley, uh, Connor Folk, the Owen Murphy. So I think we should cast our minds back to 2016 when we got beaten in the All-Ireland final. And we left that day in the All-Ireland final in 2016. A lot of people in Kilkenny knew that was the end of the great, great team that Kilkenny had. And Brian Cody had to rebuild. And I think we need to go back and consider that and, and be fair to the Kilkenny public, the Kilkenny trainers, the Kilkenny coaches, this, the county board of Brian Cody. And I'd be in the camp that I'd say, hey, lads, realistically, in 2016 when we got beaten, that team was starting to break. The Shefflins, the Tommies, the JJs, the Eddies, a lot of them were gone. But that, that team then, that was the end of that great team that was... I suppose that had done so much for Kilkenny over the previous 10 years, 12 years. So we were rebuilding. And in that rebuilding process, I believe getting to an All-Ireland final last year was against the head. Winning a Leinster Championship was a great result for this group. It's just, we're so fortunate in the last 20 years. Forget about the, the 80s, the, the, uh, um, whatever, and the, the, but from the noughties onwards, like, we're spoiled. You know, if you were a 20-year-old teenager in Kilkenny you think it's part of your holidays it's like coming you think it's part of every going to an all Ireland. and as a result um, I think as I said we've been blessed and spoiled and we take it for granted and I think we just need to be patient and I know your patience run out it's five years since we won an All-Ireland hey it's 20 years since Cork won um, it's a while since uh, um, other teams have won one I suppose that themselves not to mention the Wexfords and people that are trying so hard so look we have to be patient uh, I believe and I think that patience has been tested now for sure but winning Leinster this year is a step in the right direction getting to an All-Ireland last year against uh, beating Limerick and getting against Tipperary and I will say that even though most people particularly our neighbours won't like it they're sending off change that game and as a result I said you know it is a reasonable small start I think yeah, I think just kind of taking you up on 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 the point that you make there, Ronnie. It, it is, you know, I'd agree with you hundred percent. It's 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 a good step stepping stone for Kilkenny. I I was chatting to a guy earlier in the week, and I said to him, you know, living in the Kilkenny area, it feels like a little bit of a famine down here that they haven't won in All Ireland for five years. And he laughed at me, and he kind of pointed out about Mayo, Cork, um, all of these countries, even Waterford, so long winning All-Ireland and he, he kind of laughed at the fact that you can't see it as a famine and I think I seen it in the paper the other day it said kids are going to be starting junior infants in Kilkenny in September having never experienced Kilkenny winning an All-Ireland title and I thought to myself you know it's 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 silly beggars to be too quick on it but there was one point I do want to pick up on and it's it's just on Liam Cahill as the Waterford manager last week on this podcast I had said that I thought Brian Cody had made a couple of big calls dropping Colin Fenley 
dropping them all to Welsh. I thought they were really brave calls. And I said to him about Liam Cahill, I thought he was a he was a tough cookie. He took off Austin Gleeson, you know, early in the second half, the last in, or not the semi-final, the quarterfinals, took him off early in the second half, which was a big move. I've seen Austin Gleeson dragging his heart around the field for a whole match and not being taken off by previous managers. But on Saturday against Kilkenny, Cahill took off Jake Dillon, who's been a stalwart for Waterford all season. He's been a fabulous hurler for a good few years now. But he took him off after 17 minutes of a game. I was stunned at... The, the composure of Cal to make a call like that because that's a bloody big call for a, a debut manager in a county team but he, he's really making waves down Waterford he's obviously a fairly clever man um, well first of all be uh, argumentative but to contradict you the Jake Dillon one for me wasn't a surprise um, Jake Dillon for me was only a bit player for the Waterford under Fanning and under McGrath in the last five years. And I was surprised to see him as part of the setup because he was a bit player. But to be fair to Cal, he reinvigorated Jake Dillon, brought him back onto the setup, and was an integral part of it. But as you rightly said, he did make a big crucial decision very early in the game. But it seems to be fair to Cal and fair to Waterford, they do have 20, 22 lads that they can trust. You know what I mean? Very much so. And, you know, we must forget that he's already lost Parig Man. He's already let we'll say Morris Shannon go and Noel Connors. Like when you look back on McGrath and the success they had, and McGrath's had with Waterford, got him to an All Ireland final and won a national league and Fanning and these like the Waterford team, uh, to be fair, have been maybe underachieving a little bit, but doing reasonably well. But to answer your question, what has Cal brought? Well he's obviously brought huge belief, huge hunger, huge energy, huge fitness levels that most people haven't seen for a while. He's allowed these players to express themselves. They've been playing negatively over the last three or four years, playing the waiting game. He's done the opposite. He's got to attack, attack, attack. And to be fair to Cal, one of the think the amazing things he's done is it's still relatively the same bunch of players outside of Mahani who he wants. And he's brought him on. So that talks huge volumes of him as the manager. Now, He's done the same thing, remember, in Tipperary underage. I mean, he's been very successful with Carrick Shock down here uh, in the early to noughties. And then he hurled, and actually had a great success as a hurler. But to be fair, his biggest success, I think, was with the Tipperary minors. Because as we now see uh, this weekend and where Tipperary football is going, there was a wave of huge expectation in Tipperary underage hurling and football. And it was seen to be sexy to play football in Tipperary in the early naughty noughties. And Cal made a huge decision back then by saying to the parents and to the players, hey boys, it's like this, I've learned after year one that I can't have a dual player. It was a massive call to make because he's down from South Tipperary, which is a real football area. Um, and he made that call and he advised the county board that he wasn't carrying both. He fell out with the footballer fraternity up there. And wasn't popular because he got his win as a minor uh, manager, won his minor all earned that year, and then come on to win an under-21 and an under-20. So you're dead right. He's not afraid to make hard decisions. And that was, the, for me, the big move that, I suppose, made Liam Cal and people stand up and say, well, this lad is not your normal yes, man. And um, to date, and maybe in a week's time, this will all stand to him. And, and we know they're going in with a great chance. In yeah, no, they definitely are. Um, and I think we'll we, we switch our kind of a conversation across the, the Galway-Limerick game. I've been a big fan of Galway all year and I just kind of, I, I don't know why, I was just waiting for a performance all year long and just it just never came. I think they're a team of huge potential. I, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't extremely disappointed with their performance 
on on Sunday to lose by three or four points at the end to Limerick. It's not a, it's a, not exactly an embarrassing score to be beaten by a great Limerick team. But I just I don't know why. But from the from about the fifth minute or sixth minute of that game, to me it felt like Limerick were always going to win the game, and it just. I just didn't enjoy it as much. I just felt like both teams were going through the motions and we were eventually going to come to a Limerick win. I don't know how you read that game, Ronnie. Oh, would you believe? I'd agree with you here. Uh, Eddie Bay, I think you're dead right. I was a fan. I am a big fan of Gal again. I know Michal who very well again from our working days. I keep in touch again. And again, I took a shine to him as well because he was involved in the last couple of years. He got a great bounce out of him, as we know, in 2017. And then had his trouble in 18 and then obviously in 19 then um, Shane O'Neill came in so like you hugely talented hurlers but again they had a similar type hurler I thought all year similar type uh, forward shall we say and two things on the day that after seeing him against Galway and again Joan opinion um, I thought the, 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 the loss of Johnny Glynn of that type of player someone on the edge of the square that's huge that can win the ball that can win his own ball they were asking Conor Whelan to do both Conor Whelan's an excellent hurler a finisher stylist also, and a big man, but he was also asked to do that job as well. He was asked to, you know, not only was he to be the score getter, he was the score provider. I know you're expected to do that at inter-county level, but Glynn, I think, was a huge loss to that setup, or someone in hit the same mould. And to be fair to Galway, like what you said, I think on the day they played with a system, and Michal who alluded to this in recent times, they played to a system uh, against Limerick with the sweeper I know they had to tidy up but the sweeper they used on the day was Parik Manning no, I was very surprised that he was the sweeper they used that's not the lad I would have used I think Parik Manning was comfortable as a sweeper I think your sweeper to me has to be a different type of player I know someone said well what type because Ty the worker does it on one side and he's different to, to Kevin Foley doing it in Wexford but to me I don't think Parik um, Manning looked comfortably being the sweeper I would have possibly used someone different like that on the day as your sweeper, I'm not sure had Galway because again they did play Sean Loftus. He came in late. You had Young Cooney and the other corner. They were relatively new into the setup. So for me, while I was disappointed to see this, um, the Galway fade out of the game, but what I think we must remember when Galway faded out of the game, they had lost Cahill Mannion after 18 minutes. He was a massive loss, and then Joe Canning was unfortunately injured in the end. So they were coming into the home straight. If I'm not mistaken, 12 minutes ago against Limerick in an All-Ireland final, they brought it back level, if you must remember, brought it back level. And when they turned out to look to the leaders, Manning was gone and so was Joe Cannon. So I think they were unfortunate. I think Shane O'Neill was unfortunate when he looks back and when he reflects on the year that he'll say, gee, if I had to have uh, Cannon and Manning, they were two players. That's like us, TJ and, um, you know, Richie and Fenley. You know, it's like they're our big main players with experience. And, you know, you know, ourselves, you know, without TJ, we'd be a lesser team naturally. And I think, to be fair to to Galway, without Canning, and he's not their talisman like he used to, Manning has taken that mantle from him in a lesser extent. But I think, to be fair to Galway, Limerick were lucky that those boys were missing at the end of the last 15 minutes. Yeah, I think, I, I, I take that, um, I, you know, I felt Carl Mannion, maybe even, I'm going to sound crazy, but even Carl Mannion would probably be more so of a loss than Joe Canning because he offers you so much from play. He's never out of the game. He's 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 brilliant and he has been brilliant this year. But I would, you know, I, as much as I felt so sorry for Galway and I was thinking the same thing in the last five or six minutes, he had love big Joe now in on the 14 and we'd be hopping balls into him and maybe players coming off his shoulder. But 
you have to look back at the goal with puck out and, and I'd really question I don't know to me it seemed like and I've watched the game twice since and, and I looked at the puck outs from the keeper now their keeper had a great game shot stopping but his distribution from puck outs like I got five direct scores straight from the goal with puck out and these were short puck outs like he struck a ball to a full back took the return pass and then struck it straight to a, a Limerick going forward did Galway go in with a new game plan for an All-Ireland semi-final and a blow up in their face yeah well I think from Again, experience being involved in teams and from playing and being a so-called goalkeeper at different times in career, I think is a huge sign of weakness. I know the modern game has changed um, and we're all believing the short puck outs. What's the point having 15 and 15 if you can't win your own bloody puck out? So they consistently went with short puck outs. And to be fair to the young lad, the goalie, that was what he was told to do. That was his plan. And some of those weren't executed properly. And I don't think it was all down to him. I think the guys that made the run, if you look back at the camera action from behind the goal, the guys made the run and showed for the ball. And at the last minute, then made it uh, slow down. So I know trying to play as a goalkeeper in the past, I know it's a long time ago at this stage, but trying to do uh, short puck outs, you have to be so effective at it and you have to have the right lad on the far on the right you can only in my eyes you can only identify one or two players at best to take a short book out and we all talk about this and you can talk about from your own experience or any of our experiences in any club in any county team or anything we'll always say give it to the cornerback but invariably you say oh jeez you couldn't give it to him you know there's always some cornerback of the two cornerbacks that you have you say oh, I'll give it, give it to him anyway so no matter what walk of life Galway didn't trust you know, they only trusted maybe once that Dahi Bork and then he gave a lot he gave a shot, give it back to him. And I think to be fair to the young man on the goal on the day, some of those puck outs weren't all his own fault. I think it's a sign of weakness out of the Galway team that they didn't trust their system, they didn't trust their men on the half hour line to win it, didn't have their men on to win the breaking ball. And I think it's up the field their problem was, yeah, short puck out can sometimes go to your two corner backs and then you work it up. But to try to get a short puck out from 30, 40, 50 yards, you'd want to be very very good at it and you don't want to have a very good lad on the far side trying to uh, receive it from you. It's a dangerous, dangerous game. Just just two final points on that game there. Uh, first one I'm going to comment on is there was a young man that got brought on, Evan Nyland. I'd never heard of him before, never seen him before. Came on for Joe Canning uh, with four or five minutes to go or six minutes to go in an All-Ireland semi-final. And my wife's a proud goal woman. She was screaming him on at the time and when he came on I kind of thought, oh Jesus, they're in big bother here. But next thing he stood up over a free about 65 yards from his own goal, his first puck of the game, and drove it the length of the field. And I thought to myself, holy God, you know, Galway have a right one in this lap. Now, I have to say, I was blown away by his performance in the last five or six minutes. And I'm just wondering, why, why on earth wasn't that guy brought onto the pitch before now? Had you heard of him before today yourself, Ronnie? Yeah, would you believe underage? And again, underage, and I shouldn't be taking it, but in my own case, and... Um, with uh, Galway underage this guy has come with a huge reputation and um, at our college's level would you believe my own young lad Tommy was man marking him on two occasions in, in two matches and um, so this guy came with a huge reputation I should know the team that he should the school team he played with and I can't off the top of my head remember the school team but a seriously talented young lad um, comes with as I said great expectation however he comes with an sign, the warning sign He's small and he's light. And in the modern game, they don't want any of us small, light lads anymore. Now, I'm no longer light, but I was small. So, this is the worry. And I go back to this one the whole time. Um, and I hate this one. It's my pet hate, but obviously I hate it because I'm one of these guys. The day the small horror uh, starts coming distinct, um, or is that the word? Extinct. Extinct, yeah. And unless you're a freak, yep, unless you're a freak like Tommy Welsh or Richie Hogan, 
it's difficult for the the smaller man to get into a game and you go to all the teams now it's not like years ago the smaller man is finding more difficult because it's now more strength and condition and big and winning your own ball and yes they all have a part to play it's like the rugby team you have to have a a scrum half a winger and a, a number eight but the modern game has changed that all six forwards now seem to be all have to be six foot two or three so that's why I'd say Nyland didn't get the nod and they couldn't take a chance with him and Con Cannon they were very similar and then when they, when they it did hit the fan they did turn to him and as you rightly said he struck some monster free for your first touch the free was massive and he will be a star of the future and he will bulk up and they will have him on three steak dinners a day and um, if he's not, they'll have him on four steak dinners a day. Yes, you will hear a lot about him and he will be a serious talent. As I said, he has been that underage. And again, it's the mad that I can't remember the school team. I should remember this. this Lock Ray, I can't think. It could be Lock Ray. But anyway, seriously talented player. And as I said, um, one for the future for sure. But I think that he might be 21, even 22 at this stage. You know what I mean? So he's not, he's not 18, 19. He's a, he's a year older than Adrian Mullen, I'd say. But a good talent and yeah. one for Galway. So they have lads coming, yeah. And Con another one they found this year. Um, he was hanging around last yeah. year and he's a serious talent too. So when you think of it, uh, Galway, while they'd be disappointed, Shane O'Neill, I'd say Shane O'Neill reflected and say, yeah, disappointed, particularly to get caught by Kilkenny. We made mistakes, got caught by Richie Hogan on the day. Now, I was at that match, as I said to, you today, uh, to numerous people on the day. And I was one of these few that didn't work on the day, but I was lucky enough to be involved as a technician for KCLR. Help now, I'm some technician, you'd say, all right, but as I was, I was helping. But you could hear everything that was going on. And that particular moment when Kilkenny got them two goals in those 60 seconds, and I know this because I heard it, uh, Aidan Hart shouted out to the Shane O'Neill on the sideline, put someone in front of us. And what he meant was TJ and Richie Hogan went into the full forward line. And they had, if you remember, the, uh, he gave the ball to Mar- Mossy Keown, who drove the wide. And at that stage, they shouted out to put someone in front of him. He was shouting out to put someone in front of him. Richie got the first, that wonder goal that we talk about. When Richie got the wonder goal, he then shouted out, where will I go? To send Parik Mannion back to be the spare man. And as Mannion was shouting out to the sideline, where will I go? TJ was rapping in the other goal. So during those 60 seconds that they were asking those two questions, and this is a fact, I was there, I was there, I heard it, I saw it, I was sitting up to the right-hand side, where it actually happened underneath me. And I clearly heard what they said and clearly heard what they um, the, the instructions they were a little bit confused with the change they wanted cover in front of TJ and Richie and they did it but we had two goals scored while they were making that change so there they are small margins small margins no it is, it is it's, it's definitely a game of small margins and, and with switches like that they need to be done instantaneous as you know in, in, in management yourself the only other question I'd have on, on that Limerick Galway game and it's just down to a little bit of indiscipline I've noticed the Limerick team throughout the year this year, I felt in the Munster final against Waterford when players ran at them, they fouled. I thought again on Sunday, I thought their discipline was a little bit choice again. Um, Aaron Galan, now I know there was nothing in it, but he did strike the goalkeeper on the back with his hurl. Now so I'm using the word strike very loosely here. He still hit him with the hurl. I know the keeper made a bit of it. And then Joe got hit with a hurl on the back. Now I know Henry Shefflin and a few of the guys on RTE uh, were very quick to say that that wasn't a red card. That should have been a straight right card. James Owens bottled it, in my opinion. The, the, definitely the Joe Canning incident was a straight right card. That was a wild pull onto his back. The, the other one, if they were to put the letter of the law into the roots, Aaron Galan could have been sent off as well. I know there was nothing in it, but genuinely, I can't touch you with the hurl. It says minimum impact with a hurl, minimum striking force with a hurl. There was no playing of the ball. What was the story? What was your take on that? Are you with Henry? There should have been no red cards in that game. <laughs> Ah, 
Um, I'm in the uh, corner of common sense. Um, and yes, the letters of the law can strike with a hurl. Uh, again, Galan, and uh, we must all work in Bank of Ireland. Uh, Galan works with us and had the pleasure of his company in one or two games in recent. Personally, in this case, personally, in this case, I think Galan just tapped him to say, hey, boy, it's gone over the bar. I think the, the goalkeeper, again, been there before. I think the goalkeeper made a meal of it. I don't think it was a wild slap. I think it was more of, hey, look at that one gone over the bar. That's the take I take on that. Now, however, I will agree with you. Garrod Hegarty uh, plays on the edge, played on the edge. He was consistently fouling. He had six or seven frees on the day. On the day, um, the, well, I, as much as, again, I remember now, going back to the Ireland last year, the linesman would have helped um, uh, the referee in these situations. And I think that happened while Jess, James Owens might have seen everything. I think the linesman should have helped him out a little bit more. In hindsight, of course, it looked like a sending off. It looked like a wild slap, and it was a wild slap. And I think this is where Limerick now must be slightly worried going into an Ireland because here two ordinary guys talk about Limerick and their discipline. And being highlighted at, on the Sunday game, which is obviously is where you're tried in, in a jury and, and courtroom, and it's now filtered down to the, the, the media. So between the podcast, the media, the Sunday game, now people are talking about Limerick's discipline. Straight away, Fergal Horgan was after being announced as a referee for the All-Ireland Final. Fergal Horgan had uh, phone. He listens to radio. He listens to podcasts. He could even be listening to this one. He's going to be under a bit of pressure. And I think Limerick are going to be under a bit of pressure. And their discipline is going to be queried. It's going to affect possibly their performance, how to go about it. Because surely John Kiley is going to say to, to Garrod Egerty, hey, Garrod, you need to calm it a little bit. Now, if he tells him to calm it a little bit, that means it affects his mindset, affects how he approaches the game, it affects how he performs. That's a concern, possibly, a worry for Limerick. And, as we said, referees, to be fair to the referees, they're scrutinised, not by the general public anymore, but by a referee, uh, um, uh, principal, we'll call him in this case, an examiner uh, in the stand. And they have to, as you rightly said, apply the letters of the law in most cases and try and judge their common sense. No one wants to be referee. We all spoke about this. So I think whatever happened is in the past. And yes, maybe Garhoger Hegarty was uh, certainly lucky for persistent fouling. Whatever should have certainly got a yellow card for persistent fouling. And yet, when you have the hindsight of a video, it was a wild slap. It was, a, uh, by the law, if, if there was VIR, which we don't ever want, then uh, James Owens would have sent him off. Um, but I think what's more worrying could be and should be for um, Limerick is the All-Ireland Final, which again, I think maybe our friend Liam Cahill will have a little plan for that sort of end. We draw the Limerick boys on top of him, and I think that might be a small bit of pressure on Limerick, and it might be a worry and concern for him. Just, just on your point about VAR, and it's just a question, I, I, I don't know the answer to the question, that's why I'm going to ask it. But when Richie got sent off last year in the All-Ireland Final, I remember kind of looking into this a couple of days later, and I was told, rightly or wrongly, that Dickie Murphy would have been the video referee on the day in Crow Park, and that Dickie Murphy, isn't that his name, the old Wexford referee, he would have refereed in your day, Ronnie? Yeah, he, great he, ref. He, Dickie apparently did advise James Owens that this was a straight red card and James Owens applied it. This is what the big delay was on the day. He spoke to umpires, linesmen. Jeez, I was half expecting them to ring me in the stand to see what I thought because it went on so long with Richie's red card <laughs> and eventually a red card was brandished. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that. Is that, is that the case? Well, again, um, again, it's a lot of his rumour, but the one that we heard accurately and we worked up there on the day 
you must remember um, and to con- confirm Dickie Murphy was one of those great referees I didn't hear Dickie's name mentioned but I know RT have a camera and I know the man that helps Marty Morrissey uh, on the day and I heard and I know what was the instructions and to be fair to the linesman on the day uh, Johnny Murphy Johnny Murphy when uh, James Owens came over from Johnny Murphy's was supposedly so now hey these are all supposedly supposedly but this is what we were told at half time we heard it in the media box in the media room accurately because the people that were saying it would have had the earpiece on him and Johnny Murphy was supposed to have said to the referee I think he's making a meal of it that's his exact words seemingly and that's what came out of it and James Owens made that decision to be fair to Johnny Murphy a lot of people on the day uh, put Johnny Murphy and as the linesman made the call but he didn't James Owen took the instructions and when he turned around if you look at it was James Owens made the decision it seems on the day and you know we all know and we all have our own angle on it and the more you look at it maybe the worst it got but in the cold heat of the time and of the day, as it happened on the day I thought there was no impact and I thought um, uh, Barrett made a meal of it but when I had the video uh, hindsight of it for days and run it numerous times I wanted to forget about it a bit more maybe <laughs> no no 100% but sure look we, we, we leave we leave the hurling there uh, for now uh, obviously we have a great All-Ireland final to look forward to in a couple of weeks time and we, we look we look up to that in the build up to it but the other big games of the weekend were in the Camogie um, both games that played down in Parky Cueve last Saturday uh, Kilkenny were up first against Cork and then they were followed by the tip uh, clear or tip versus uh, Galway game. Just on the on the Kilkenny game first, um, really enjoyed watching that game. I'm obviously a very big Camogie fan myself anyway, but I, I really enjoyed the game. Brian Dowling's charges, they got off to possibly the worst possible start. Um, I, you know, when I was watching it, I, I was starting to panic myself after five or six minutes. I said, holy God, this isn't what I was expecting today because I, I really fancy Kilkenny for the All-Ireland this year. I've been saying it since the start of the year, but it was a chronically poor start to a game. Um, very unlike Kilkenny, but uh, in fairness to the girls that dug in and, and they came out the other side of that game, it was a cracking little game, Ronnie. Yeah, and again, like yourself, of course, I have a camogie background. I've been involved with in our club for years and uh, as intercounty level up to minor this year. And that's another argument for another day about the camogie association and their, their the disappointment of not playing minor camogie and under 16 camogie this year when the boys are playing it. I just can't understand the, the, the 2020 women vision and the female, how the camogie hasn't gone but anyway that was not the question you asked me to be fair but I just wanted to get, make that point um, Kenny and Cork of course he has been speaking about how unfortunate and how uh, tough it's been on these girls the Kilkenny girls over the last couple of years to have been representing Kilkenny in a number and since 2011 or 12 and numerous All-Irons and they have one All-Irons out of it and uh, of course these girls put in every big an effort as the, as the men do and unfortunately to get treated so shabbily poorly by the GA and by the Camogie Association it's so difficult for those girls they're brilliant to be continuing to play Camogie um, to continue to put in the effort and continue to be available to Kilkenny Camogie they're in my eyes they're, they're great ambassadors as, as it's a great game it's a great sport played at great um, skill levels and then when you look in from the outside and you see the Kilkenny backroom now before the match, we all knew Brian Dowling and what he can has done with O'Loughlin's and what he's done with teams in, in Kilkenny. But you have Tommy Shefflin, you know, a man that so much with uh, Ballyhale, trained him to win county finals, club all earns. Great to see lads like him involved. And then John Chandler 
and then of course the great Philly Larkin. So straight away you're looking at the Kilkenny backroom team of the uh, involved with the Kilkenny Camogie. It's finally being treated with respect. That there's good lads getting involved, great lads are getting involved, and behind all that, because I know these guys well, there's a big secret then involved. There's a guy called Pat O'Neill involved. And like no one must involved because he's helping out the backs. But again, Anna Geary and the girls mentioned so he couldn't even hide in uh, Parky Keeve last Sunday. He was spotted. So there's a backroom team of huge experience that have, as I said, have worked in the trenches. You know, they've won underage. Larkin has done so much underage hurling and Camogie. And Pat O'Neill has done so much with her underage hurling and playing on the field. And, and again, uh, underage Camogie. He's done so much for Young Ireland's Camogie. So when you see what they're bringing to the table, that, not taken from any of the people that have been involved in Kilkenny teams over the last few years but it just goes to show that you know what these girls uh, how they're respected by that they're able to get these people involved and then after 13 minutes wow they're 1-3 down I was roaring at the television expecting huge things and I was so disappointed for the girls so disappointed for the boys involved because I know how much the the enthusiasm, the pattern these boys bring to it and Philly and Tommy Shefflin and Brian Dowling and I was so disappointed for them and then thankfully the bigger girls stood up the, the Denise Galls, the Anna Daltons the Claire Feelings all stood up and the Anna Farrells of course they all stood up I'm, I'm talking about the leaders in the group and uh, and then they allowed the likes of Mary O'Connell and these girls to get the few scores and thankfully they, they led from from then and led the charge I suppose and held on for a great victory because again Cork came back at it there is an issue about the timekeeping there was an issue about the over the, the, and again refereeing in Camogie and as well as we all heard the jokes we all know the jokes about refereeing in Camogie but for whatever goes on at all levels in Camogie the refereeing they apply different rules now maybe there is different rules they'll tell you there's different rules but oh, without trying to I, I really get cross when it, when it comes to the camogie and refereeing because it's a different standard altogether and again the last day your man was blown for steps from the very early stage he did both sides and I suppose it's frustrating for Kenny just take for example most of the referees in Kilkenny are hurling referees but they're so good in Kilkenny to referee hurling games they referee the girls games again and they forget sometimes that the refereeing girls matches so they apply the same rules so they let away the likes of Colette Dormer to give a shoulder and drive you into the stand and Colette Dormer did that the last day uh, but she forgot that it wasn't the Kilkenny referee so he applied the rules uh, strictly so it's a little bit difficult for the girls because they want to play the game at a level that's acceptable to the men's. They want to play it in the same rules and same terms as the men's and it should be played at the same rules and same uh, terms as the men's game because, as I said, they put in the same effort and I, it's, it's the only little bit that I feel disappointed and Paddy Murray made the point about the steps and he was disappointed but I think, to be fair to Kilkenny and Cork and Kilkenny supporters, we're due a win over Cork and we're due to be, I think, whatever happened on the day about the refereeing and whatever happened about the timekeeping, I think um, we deserve to be there. It's great for that bunch of girls. It's great for that bunch of management team. But as we all know, it's not worth the course if they don't pull it off the next day. No, 100%. Um, and I'd agree with you 100%. I, I would take you up on a couple of the little points that you've made there, Ronnie. Oh. Uh, for, first of all, you know, Owen Elliott was refereeing the game from Antrim. Um, I've, I've experienced Owen refereeing games in the past with us. I've been on the wrong side of a couple of times he's asked me to leave the line, leave the pitch, leave the stand, maybe move to a different country. Um, but I will say... He wouldn't be the only ref now, Eddie, would he, to say that to you? <laughs> no, I, no, I don't like sorry. referees in general. I know we need them, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but 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 with 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 Owen, I would say early in the game he started calling for steps in against Cork, and yeah. he was right. Uh, they were they they've done this a bit. They they and a lot of teams are doing it. Limerick are doing it in the hurling as well. They're going right out. They're taking five and six steps, and referees are letting it go because the game is so fast. And if you blow for every step infringement, you'll be stopping and starting games, and people will be going mad. So I think number one, and Paddy Murray. I can assure you, is training the Cork team. You've done it yourself, Ronnie, with a team. You're shouting at your lads, take five steps, take five steps. The ref will never blow you for five. And that's what he's drilling into these girls. That's that's the first thing I will say to you. The second thing in that is, the referee, I, I don't know what went on. I think RTE stopped the clock for the one-minute water break during the game, and they're saying that the referee hadn't stopped the clock and whatnot. There was two minutes to go, according to Paddy Murray and according to RTE. There was no time left, according to Owen, uh, Elliot referee in the match. But what I would say was, Kilkenny were in the ascendancy. If there was another two minutes there, Cork would have been beaten by three points or four points. I know you can't guarantee that, but it was all Kilkenny in that last five or six minutes. Kilkenny were the team finishing. I remember Offaly a few years, a long time ago now, getting done out late in the game, but Offaly were coming back. They were driving out there. They were getting scores left and centre. The referee blew up the game early. Yes. I, I don't think Cork were unlucky here. No, I don't think they were unlucky either. I just think they were making the excuses that the refereeing and the steps and the refereeing and the timekeeping was all excuses. And so you're dead right. They made that point afterwards. Kenny didn't make that point. They accepted, obviously, because he blew them for a step as well. And as we know, to be fair to referees, some have, we all know the different refs in Kilkenny. You know when you're playing a match with the team, hey, this lad doesn't, he, he blows you for steps. This lad goes mad about the hand pass. This lad doesn't like chopping. This lad doesn't like uh, going down, um, take raising the ball on you when you're not, when you're not standing on your, uh, standing and you're on your knees. So every referee has a little pet uh, discipline that he probably, I suppose, referees or monitors closely. So in this case, it seemed that Owen Elliott had, had the steps on this was his that he was watching the steps rule and on the day it seemed according to Cork more so that he blew it more often than not uh, but on the day as I said to Kenny but of course playing Galway Galway are a different team there now Galway are not as, as I said controversial they're not I suppose they're a fresher team a younger team and they have a different style forward if you watch the Cork team the last day the Cork had more of a, uh, I suppose, a bigger uh, team that they were, they were winning their own ball and maybe a slower outfit. Galway have faster, pacier, smaller forwards. So it's a different uh, proposition for the Kilkenny mentors. You know, they are a decent team. They are all in champions. And we are short Katie Power. We are short. Um, um, God, her name has gone from me. The, the, oh, the centre-back, I should know her name. <laughs> oh, Lord. Her name has gone for me anyway. Um, so we're short two key players um, in in Katie Power. And um, I'm going to forget her. We'll call her the, the same Martins girl. God, she'll kill me when I, when I can't think of her name. But So Kenny are under a bit of pressure, uh, as I said. Bear in mind who they're short. And as I said, the boys are trying to gel a team together. So again, 7 o'clock, an unusual time in Crow Park. with a huge um, opportunity for, for this group of girls to, to rightly uh, get an all-earned under their belt, a second one for some of them. Yeah, definitely. Just sw- switch into the other game because the, the next team they're going to be facing into is, is Galway, as you say. Um, I, I don't know what way to word this, but what I will say to you is you're hitting the nail right on the head. When, when we were when we were involved down in Wexford and we were looking at teams, I always found Cork. Cork were the big, ugly team that you didn't want to play. They come in, they were physical, they were they were rough, they were they were just they weren't they weren't playing it the beautiful way. Galway are like Brazil when it comes to this type of stuff. They move the ball quick. 
they're, they're a lovely side to watch. And I think in Neve Kilkenny, they've, they've one of the best Camogie players in the country. Aoife Donoghue in midfield. You know, they're exceptional, exceptional players. And I think, in fairness to Kilkenny, what we're going to get in that game is a cracking battle between these two sides. Um, you must be really looking forward to that game yourself, Ronnie. Yeah, no, as I said, really looking forward to it because I suppose I have an interest, as everyone does, in Kilkenny and Kilkenny Camogie and I have an interest in, in the fact that the boys are, that I know so well are involved. And um, um, I suppose, to be fair, Galway just bring a different uh, challenge to the boys. You know what I mean? They're, as I said, they, they are all Ireland champions. There was a tendency that maybe we left it behind us last year. And um, I suppose, to be fair to Kilkenny, Camogie, they are due a win. And this group of girls, you know, are due and they've put, as I said, I know I'm in the, in the repeat myself, they've put a massive effort in. And um, I suppose, you know, in fairness to them, it's just, you know, you just hope for the for their sake that they pull it off. Um, it's just that they'd be just nervous, you know, that in the back of their minds, they've, as I said, they've had failings before. But to be fair to Brian Dowling, he said whatever happened before has 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 no longer anything to do with it. I'm thinking that girl has really bothered me. Edwina Keane, I have it. Edwina Keane, I should be apologise. Edwina Keane is a massive loss. That's the girl I was trying to think of. And as I said. No, really looking forward to it because, as I said, I just know from you know from being involved in sport as we all do, you know the efforts you put in. You know, sometimes you don't get over what you deserve, and I just know from listening and watching these girls and just looking in from the outside and listening to the boys being involved. That you know, I just love to see them winning. You know, it's to talk about the fairy tale of water winning all Ireland and Mayo maybe or Tipperary winning the football, and it's just because they're from. People say, ask ah, Kilkenny, Jays, we're fed up watching Kilkenny winning. But this girl, this group of girls haven't won. So I just think as a group, it's lovely on your CV when you're finished to say what you got over. And these girls deserve more than one. So a lot of these girls only have one all Ireland medal. Some of them have two. Uh, some, some of them have uh, none, should I say. So to have one, I think this group of girls, particularly Dan Dalton's and the Denise Galls, and these girls deserve more than one all Ireland medal. And I hope to God they do win it. Yeah, no, I think I think I, I share that sentiment. I think they will. I think they probably will win it as well. I, I you know, I, I I've really fancied them all year long, and I I, I love the likes of Colette Dormer. Uh, you were kind of saying about Colette, um, maybe she was a little bit unlucky in the game, but uh, one of my mates sent me a text after about one minute when Colette Dormer landed landed the blow early in the game, and he said, "There's Colette picking up her her, her standard yellow card, the championship mm-hmm. match. She does lay down the markers, but um." Look, it's, 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 it's something to look forward to. Before we switch across to football, Ronnie, I know it's a sport that you absolutely adore and we chat about it. There's one thing that's kind of been coming up a little bit in sport this year with the whole global pandemic and I just want your own opinion on it. It's, it's the water breaks in, 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 in the GEA. We've, we've started this water break scenario where there's a break given after say 15 to 17 minutes, halfway through the first half and halfway through the second half game. Very simple question. First and foremost, are you for the water breaks? Is this something that you think should be kept in the game? And is it is it a positive in the game? Um, uh, it, um, well, ooh. Um, some teams have benefited. Been involved in clubs and been involved in camogie and been involved in teams this year and supporting teams. Um, sometimes we were delighted with the water break because we were hurting so poorly. And more times then we weren't uh, so happy with the water because we were on a bounce and we were going so well. So... During the summer for club hurlers this year, I can see the benefit of it because people mightn't have done the foundations, done the heat, and as a club player, mightn't be, I suppose, as conditioned as an inter county player. A water break during the middle of winter um, in an inter county game, I don't think is required for a person or a player that's conditioned so well as inter county professional athlete. I think it breaks down the game, I think it upsets the game, I think it's something that, while it was necessary, 
uh, at the time because we were unsure how people would cope because they hadn't, as I said, the club herders came back first during the COVID and they mightn't have had, as I said, the conditioning done. They hadn't had the training done. They were playing in warm, uh, humid temperatures, I suppose, if you can call the Irish summer warm and humid. But during the winter, I'm not too sure. I don't think it's, it's necessary. I don't think the players... Um, would benefit it unless there's a like in the in the in the unless go and do it like you do in the in the um, American football and have your traditional break that it is a break after 16 or 17 minutes you know whatever because it is a 35 minute game and the clock stops then if you're doing it bring in the clock and bring in the hooter and down the load the clock especially at inter-county games in Croke Park I might be a, a prefer that that there's no controversy bring in your clock and go by the clock and that's it but no to answer your question then answer it quickly says you and answer Chris correct no I'm not a fan of the water breakdown see Ronnie this is like this is one of the big things that I've been looking at over the last six or eight months and I agree with you in club hurling I found it I found it useful with myself there was times we were on the line and you were looking at a game and you said please God let that water break come quick because I'm going to choke <laughs> one of these lads and I can't run on the field to do it but in saying that like you said there has been games when you have to get three four five points and the referee blows for a water break and you're nearly throwing the water bottle at him saying you could have let us go for another minute there you know <laughs> But, but the one thing I would say is I have noticed in the last number of years in the GA, and it's something that drives me absolutely mad and it absolutely peaked in Nolan Park two years ago. The backroom team and mentors from clubs and, and county teams spend more time on the pitch than some of the players. And it really did come late last, last year, the year before, when the Dublin selector caught a bloody ball that was taken from a quick free from TJ Reid. So at least with the water breaks, it's cutting out what I can only describe is, I, I honestly think it's a little bit of showmanship from the lads on the line. They're not happy enough just to be on the line. They have to run onto the field to make a name for themselves. I don't know what you think about that, but at least the water break has cut out all of that bullshit. Yeah, well, um, to be fair, I suppose the players and mentors and all of us, and you were involved, involved we didn't uh, look for that water break that GA brought that in. So I suppose in that case, that was that was uh, uh, implemented by the GA authorities and, and, and rightly so, and I suppose, COVID guidance. Um, I suppose the strange thing is when you see what's going on now, uh, if you notice in the last few days, I'm changing it slightly a bit. You see the likes of uh, Knirk, um being involved in Clare. He brings out the the, 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 the data board, or what do you call it? The, it was the tactics board. The tactics board. He brings that out. So I'm sure you'll see Blacks and Whites and other club teams next year having a tactics board coming out. And if they don't, they'll have a chalkboard. So instead of asking Santi for Christmas for uh, uh, some sort of a tie, a lot of lads, managers will be looking for one of these um, school chalkboards that they can bring to matches. And you see all sorts of fools and idiots uh, bringing out the chalkboard, drawing things in, in club matches. So that's going to be a new phase uh, next year. Tactics board or the blackboard, I suppose. Um, I did notice in Jordan those some of those times and to be fair I just noticed in Waterford if you notice Waterford the last two games Jordan the, uh, the water break it's actually not Michael it's actually Michael Beavens talks to the players the coach as opposed to the manager Liam stands outside the circle and maybe says one last word before they go but it's actually Beavens does the talking so from that point of view from if, if it's if it's coaching and implementing and improving the coaching well then it's a good thing um, uh, as we said it's it depends what way you're looking at if you're if you're if you're if you're winning and you're going well, then you don't need a water break. And if you want a water break, but no, to answer the back to the question, I'm not a fan of the water break. Let the games flow as they always did. Let them ebb and flow from one end of the field to the other and let us all enjoy it. It breaks down the continuity and, and as I said, gives the time for the moaners and groaners to give their extra opinion when we don't need that either at that stage during the game. So no, not a fan of it. 
hundred percent. Just, just, just doing an analysis on the games this year with the the water breaks. The, the swing in the water breaks has been phenomenal. There's been twelve games that have turned on their heads in water breaks, where teams have went going in at the first water break a point down and coming in at half time five points down, like six point seven point swings. That's what you're you're getting through these water breaks. So, um, I probably I'd probably be agreeing with you that the water break's not great keeping the flow of the game on it. But I'd still say I'd prefer to see the water breaks kept in the game than to see mentors running onto the field with bottles of water, giving instructions left, right, centre. I think the GEA needs to camp down on that. If they're taking the water break out next year, I think there needs to be a rule put in place that a player has to come to the line to get a bottle of water unless he's injured. He can't have Johnny and Paddy and Mickey running out onto the field and a pair of runners with, with Mayor Ishkan or back giving instructions. I, I hope you're agreeing with me on that, Ronnie. Yeah, no, I know. When you, it's now when you, when you, when you think about it, when you, and your point is taken, and you argue your point, I'd agree with you. Yeah, if it cuts out that, there's no need for in, as you said, with 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 the mayor Ishkes and uh, under back. So if that's what it's reducing, and it has done, as you rightly said, well then that's a good thing because it, it reduces the likes of the Greg Kennedys, and that's the guy that was involved last year or two years ago. It reduces Greg Kennedy's influence. Um, on the play, but actually, when you mentioned Greg Kendi, now just going back to it, I comment. I remember on the commentary the last day, he was on the field more often than most of the. He done more running than most of the Dublin players the last day as well. Even though again he wasn't on the field as often, so it'd be interesting about these fines that they give these uh, Mayorishka guys. To be fair, I did notice the last day. Kenny or against Galway because I had a big interest in watching what was going on. Gorta or Martin Comfort was the Mayorishka for Kenny, but it was very clear he couldn't go up to the box. Uh, on the right hand side where the Galway mentors were. So there was a referee, a fourth official, who actually refereed, who keeps an eye in the boxes. I didn't realise that that fourth official, I thought the fourth official only watched the times and made the substitutions. But the last day in Crow Park, if I'm not mistaken, I'd nearly go as far was there a fifth official. There was an official standing between Brian Cody and Shane O'Neill on a couple of occasions. They might have had uh, shared views with each other. Um, and there was a fourth official uh, making um uh, separate them as such, not separate them, but trying to keep their distance. Uh, so I'm just wondering now, is there a fifth official in Crow Park? Uh, that's something we must look into. There certainly was a, an additional linesman that I noticed the last day, uh, as I said. So he was so was in Crow Park, they have someone else to. So the fourth, fifth official, is, they don't need um, the, the fourth official to do that job. So, yeah, um, you're right. I'll go along with you on that one, Eddie. We'll agree on that one then. That's one all, is it? No? <laughs> it is near enough to it anyway. Yeah, one hundred percent. The other, the other big news. Uh, the other big news in the GEA this week was the GPA had obviously struck another deal um, with the Gaelic Athletic Association itself. There was a deal there where there was kind of a fifteen percent share of of all um, income for the for the for the for the GEA is going to be shared down with the players. But it just kind of brings us back to this whole pay for play uh, scenario. I know it's something I've never spoken to you about, Ronnie. Um, just you know, you'd hear it cropping up every year. It always seems to happen around about all Ireland final times and whatnot that, that maybe players should be paid for their for their time with teams and whatnot. I just wonder, as a former player yourself, a person that was in around the Kenny panel for a while, do, do you feel players are looked after enough or should it be should it be more more given to players? Interesting that you mentioned that because I was talking to someone during the week that's legend the game and it came up in a conversation accidentally and uh, our time so long ago, it's you know it's frightening. Uh, what we did is was what club players do now. Um, Inter county of twenty years ago, which we were, I came in a time that uh, the GA was kind of changing. Um, the bleep test was coming on board. The dietitians, the nutritions were all coming on board. That's why I had to go. All these guys were coming on board, 
uh, at that time, during those times. And uh, the famous one in Jordan 96, and some of us were involved in was the Neutron Diet. Um, that was another one that came on board. So, Jordan, that time there was a lot of change. Now, we put in massive effort. Of course we did. But the club hoarder is doing that now. So the player of the last 15 years, particularly, since the naughty noughties, I suppose, he's putting in, I suppose, the gym uh, and the gym work. And that's where, I suppose, he's putting in serious time. But to, to see what he's getting over, he's um, getting a lot more over. There's a lot more players nowadays getting that sponsored car getting the, the gear, getting the tape, getting the, the togs, the socks, the jerseys, they're the influencers. So they're getting more of it, and deservedly so. Don't get me wrong, deservedly so. So the player, you know, in, now maybe in the, he might be the, the player in Leitrim hurlers or uh, Sligo hurlers might be getting this, but the, the top-tier hurler, he's getting, you know, and you see most of the Kenny teams, they're getting add-ons and advantages, and it's very hard to walk away from that. You know, uh, you know, as I suppose years ago when you retired and you were told to retire, told get lost, that was the end of you. But nowadays you might hang on more because you might say, I'm going to lose the car, and, you know, it's okay. I'm going to lose, you know, the certain privileges that I get. So whatever they're getting out of it now, the present player, he deserves everything he gets out of it for the time that he puts into it. Because it is um, as good as as near as professional as he can. And now the way the club this year in particular, going from club to county, the structure was massive time um, consuming on the club player uh, the inter-county player should I say that was also the club so will I, would I like to see pay for play no the only thing is we all know and there's no, there's no big secret and um, we all know the pay for play when you see what some of the managers are getting out of it and we'll all oh here we go now it's starting to duck, duck now under the count we can't speak about this but sure, unless you're a complete eater or a fool we know just people getting uh, funding uh, to train teams, you know, at inter-county level, this figure has been mentioned. Now, certainly a, a manager should be getting these expenses over it. And I know I'm going to cause a small bit of bother by saying this, but, you know, I think players and, you know, you know, mentors, you know, I think that has to be looked at more so than the player for play. I think just the whole inter-county management and the, and the funding that's involved in there because it's it's completely draining. Counties are draining close. I think there should be some um, level of consistency there. That's the word I'm looking for. Level of consistency there. Now that's a different conversation for a different day. Dangerous no, it's, conversation, it's, maybe. It's it's not. It's a conversation that you've you've opened the door. So like like I I, I had a fairly I have a fairly strong opinion on this myself, and I, I I argued this out one night with a guy, and he said to me, "Oh well, how much would TJ Reid be worth in the transfer market if he was in England?" And I said, "Well, TJ Reid's not in England, and he can't get transferred from Kilkenny to Tipperary." So Kilkenny can't sell him for 28 million or 100 million or whatever. He's geographically and from his birthright, he plays hurling for Kilkenny. And in general, you know, Kilkenny hurlers are from Kilkenny. But if TJ Reid had been born in Leitrim and, and, and took a fancy, I can assure you that TJ Reid would not be the talent he is now. It's, 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 it's progressed up through his life in the county he was in. He'd probably be a brilliant Gaelic footballer if he was in Mayo um, because he's probably a naturally talented guy and most sport people are. So. I think if there's a pay for play, it can't be done in a way that Kilkenny, Tipperary, um, Limerick, Waterford get the biggest books because they're the most successful hurling teams. And likewise in Gaelic football, Dublin, Mayo, Curry get the big books. You have to actually say, well, London, if they're in the championship, or Ross Common, and, and, and it does filter back. And I think if the players want to genuinely be paid for playing, I think what should happen is a pre agreed fee for county training sessions. So whether it's 
60 euro a night each player gets for training and county training and they get it. Maybe put a structure in like that because the point that you're making about management, it's not just at county level. Ronnie, you know this. Like, I mean, I'm looking at some of the names that are attached to club teams all over the country. And, um, you know, like th- these lads are, are coming in. They're definitely, maybe they're all doing it for the expenses and they're doing it for the love of the game. I don't know, but I, 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 I doubt they are. And it must be a tough one for a player of TJ Reid's status or, or any of these lads to look at these fellas getting serious books to come in and manage teams when these boys are getting nothing to go out and get hands and, and legs broken and, and give up probably the best years of their life socially they just focus on sport yeah as I said it's, I suppose it's a dangerous conversation because it all depends on what stage of your career you're at hurling wise what stage of your career you're at um, management wise um, but it's there it's been there for donkey's years as we all know but it seems to be just getting out of hand at this stage you know if you're to believe the figures that are being mentioned and it is as I said a little bit disappointing when we have these athletes who are professional athletes playing and giving so much time um, to the, the, the GA that there isn't as you rightly said um, a set agreement now I know there's a set arrangement thankfully I think if I'm not mistaken nationwide for mileage for an inter-county order whether you're in Leitrim or whether you're in Kilkenny that's a great uh, plus that the mileage for an inter-county order whether you're from Leitrim and I'm not taking Leitrim any Leitrim listeners yeah, no. but um, so if they can replicate that and mirror that maybe for the same level that the trains with um, you know obviously the longer you go in the championship the more funding you get so maybe it's something you should look at as you rightly said a set fee a set appearance fee or a set, set number of training sessions and try and you know, implicated and replicated as best you can. As we know, there's serious books in the, the G8, there's serious books in the entertainment we get and we saw. Um, and I think the GA might pref- not prefer that, but I think they might acknowledge that maybe that might be a safer route and a better route. It's not pay for play. That doesn't, doesn't need to be required. And I don't think the players want one. present generation of players don't want it. It's not to say the next generation, but I think the generation that we're dealing with now, they don't they take great pride in playing for their county. All they want is just at least their expenses out of it and at least um, some acknowledgement. Not, they're not looking to become uh, millionaires or anything out of it. Um, so I think to be fair to them, it's a, it's a conversation. And then we're, it looks like the GA and the GPA are going in that direction, you know what I mean? And hopefully they'll come to an arrangement that's suitable to all. Yeah, no, no, it's, it, it is it is something that has to be it has to be rooted out. I, I mean, I see, I've seen it with county teams before. You know, doing fundraisers to get tracksuits for players and and, and things like this. I actually, I I, I only listened to John Canellan talking to Shane O'Keefe last week with KCLR there on on, on Saturday Sport, and John Canellan actually said when he was playing football for Westmead, they were travelling on a bus to the games in in bacon heat, and and they went to the county board and said, look, we'd we'd like to get shorts for travelling on the bus to these big matches and uh, the county board said no problem and every player had to fork out 35 euro each um, mm-hmm. for the for the shorts to wear to the matches you know when I heard that you know I was embarrassed to think uh, a county board would go and do that because I can assure you if, if the Kilkenny hurling team and in fairness to the county board in Kilkenny the, the Kilkenny hurlers I don't know if it was as good in your day Ronnie but from what I can see in, in, in Kilkenny the county board in Kilkenny are, are very very good to the players look after them very very well that senior hurling team are, are well looked after and I'd say Lots of county boards are probably equally as good as Kilkenny, but that was a real blot on Westmead's copybook for me to hear a player like John Canellan saying that he had to put his hand in his own pocket to get a pair of shorts to wear to a match. Like, I mean, that had just sickened you. Like. Yeah, well, look again, the famous one in our time is we went around with buckets during the county semi final to collect money as players um, uh, for a trip to 
to the Canaries, which I must say we really enjoyed. Um, but we, we had to go around with buckets. But when you mentioned that, and this is again, I'm opening up a small bit of can of worms, but this is the, the podium maybe to do that. Uh, when you think of the ladies and the girls in the Camogie, they're going around doing a fundraising at the minute for the All Ireland Final. I think it's a GoFundMe page for the Camogie, and I hope people um, uh, donate maybe. But I just have a problem with that as well that the girls have to do a Camogie. I just don't know how. This is not Kilkenny County Board. This is how the Camogie Association haven't negotiated a better package for themselves that these girls have to, to collect money to, to play in an All Ireland Final for whatever they need, whatever they require. I don't know exactly what they need because it's been, um, they obviously have to be kitted out and maybe get some gear possibly and even at this stage I'm not too sure in the restrictions that we have but whatever expense the Kilkenny County Board have at the Camogie Association I can't believe for one minute that the, G, the Camogie Association at, in Dublin in Croft have allowed them or instructed them to uh, to have, have a fundraiser in the times we're in I think it's just pathetic disappointing and I know why they might have to do it, but I thought it should have been done more cleverly um, by the powers that be on Crow Park and say, lads, this year, for the year that's in it, whatever you want, um, whatever you require, let's sit down and negotiate. Don't attempt to go near the general public for any donation. Personal opinion, might be wrong, but I think it's disappointing that the girls and the local county board have to do that. Yeah, I think, Ronnie, just picking up on that point, like if, if the Kilkenny Senior Hurling team had gotten to the final, um, you, you know, the Kilkenny Senior Hurling team have a brilliant support behind them, a really good group of guys, and it's, you know, it's a well-oiled machine, and they press a button, and straight away the fundraising drive starts, the minute Kilkenny get the Senior All-Ireland final. I take your point 100% with the Camogie. Um, the reason the costs are a little bit higher this year with the Camogie Championship would be the players will all have to get individual for after the match they can share rooms like you would have done in the past where you'd have them coupling up so they'll probably need double or treble amount of bedrooms the gear they're entitled to for the All-Ireland Final and whatnot so I'd say for the Kilkenny County Board the cost of an All-Ireland Final would normally be around five to ten thousand euro just say for argument's sake and that's gone up to treble that now maybe closer to thirty thousand and I'm only giving you small figures but I do know that the, the GEA give a the Camogie Association give a very minuscule contribution to the teams that qualify for the the All Ireland Finals, and that's more towards holiday funds for them after the All Ireland Final. And I think it's you're a hundred percent right in what you're saying. Um, the Camogie Association they don't cover themselves in glory very often the, nationally. You now I'm not speaking of the local guys because they do a great old job locally, but nationally there's bloody fixture clashes regularly with the ladies' football. Thing when every time I look at it, it it's, it's a car crash, it's, it really is. And I think the fact that the Camogie Association is insistent and not coming under the GEA umbrella is, is it's, it's, it's a, a day for another conversation. But the, 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 the Camogie Association is the only one out on its own. The ladies' Gaelic football is in under the umbrella with the Gaelic football and, and the hurling, we're all in under one umbrella. And the Camogie Association stays out on their own. I think, I think it's time that they start saying, Let's let's pull in here and come in under the same umbrella because I know there's an appetite right across the country for a bit of joined up thinking we're lucky in Kilkenny or maybe unlucky that we don't have a very strong ladies football team and you don't have a scenario where like Cork they have a lot of dual players Galway have a lot of dual players and there's big fixture clashes and the Camogie Association are happy and this happens every year to put a ladies football All-Ireland semi-final on the same day as a ladies uh, Camogie All-Ireland semi-final and to me that's criminal yeah well look said from the outset um, it's a pity they don't join together it's a pity there's not much more joined up thinking and I've been involved as I said the last five, six years and, and over the years my wife played Camogie thankfully with Kilkenny as well and as I said there's a cohort of few cohort people running the Camogie locally they're great people doing their best for Camogie there's not enough support for them but unfortunately the reason is all of this because so much of us become disillusioned 
at all levels because from the top down it's wrong and the top down here is a perfect example for the year that's in it holy God can you not just for the years after these girls and give them whatever it is required without being too extreme if there has to be an extra hotel room paid for whatever but as I said for this year that's in it 2020 vision this is all about the year of the of in, 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 in inclusivity and in the ladies world and they come along as this, again, and they stopped the minor all Ireland camogie this year after starting it. They come along only last week and they, st- they cancelled under 16 all Ireland. And all these girls have trained since last November. Like, I'm not talking to, they have a year's training under belt to play one match. How in the name of God they couldn't come along and play these games off for over the next two or three or four weeks? Play them, they're all off school during the summer or during the Christmas. Play it on a Monday or Thursday to Sunday three matches parents are around they're all off people wanting to go somewhere we can't go anywhere under the strict guidelines excuse me of level three level three guidelines so you could play these to play them in, in October two of the games under level three restrictions so I know people say it's Christmas times but what are we doing there's nothing open and we play them you know and the flip side of this is the men are playing under 20 the men are playing minor this year in the next three or four weeks so I can, for the life of me, understand how the Camogie Association didn't see fit to play it under 16 in minor championship in the last in the next three or four weeks. Personal opinion. Yeah, it's 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 it 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 doesn't. It it really shocks me that 2020 was meant to be the big. If you can't see her, you can't be her, and the big drive for women in sport. And yes, the leading bodies in women's sports again are the ones that I think are found wanting um, I'm delighted myself that I have a heavy association in horse racing and I can honestly tell you the ladies in our sport are, are, are treated the very same as the men they're right to the fore and they're the best in the business because they're given that opportunity and I think I think 2020 unfortunately for all the COVID and everything else one thing we lost out on was this big drive for ladies in sport to, you know to let people see what women can do and you know maybe we'll get 2022 or something and we'll have another crack at it when this COVID thing has passed on Ronnie yeah they need to change their view on this year anyway because I don't think uh, from what I can see and what I can gather uh, it didn't seem to materialise what they had anticipated so hopefully they can and re- go at it again it's, look I, going back to it Camogie um, locally and, and nationally is a, an enjoyable game to watch anyone watched the game last Sunday the girls are full of skill full of energy full of speed they've trained at optimum. it's not like of 10, 15, 20 years ago when maybe the uh, the levels of camogie weren't maybe as high. There's huge work being done in all these clubs, in all sports. I mean, and look, as you said, we have, you know, um, a lot of people doing a lot of huge work um, at all club levels, you know, hurling and camogie. And it, we're fortunate in Kilkenny, that's the sport we excel in and that's the sport, it's our primary sport. People might say, well, why don't you play football and soccer? It's just, it isn't the sports that we excel in. We excel it, as I said, in the hurling and it follows on, then the camogie follows on. And I think, as I said, you'd like to see the ladies, um, particularly, as I said, um, you know, so disappointed to see the girls having to go out and collect money uh, to appear in All Ireland. So that's, I think, is very disappointing for everyone involved. No, agreed, one hundred percent. Ronnie, the last thing we're going yeah, to look that, at tonight. Actually, sorry, Eddie, on that point too, and I know, this is, I suppose I won't mention names, but uh, again, it's the same with the injury front with the with the girls. Uh, if you were a, girl, a Kilkenny Camogie player and you want uh, an injury treated, I think some of those girls have to fork out the money first before they get the money back. And I know some of the selectors involved this year were very disappointed in one or two situations this year that they didn't get that opportunity, that the girls might have had to fork out a few pounds themselves before they get the insurance claim back. That doesn't happen in the men's hurling. Kilkenny hurler goes down, he gets an x-ray to see whatever physio or, or whatever um, hospital treatment he needs. He doesn't have to go down hopefully he brings his uh, pass card with him or his visa card with him. 
Whereas a, a camogie player has to bring her visa card with her to make sure she has to pay for it first before she can get it back. So that has to stop as well. And I think the sooner the camogie association change their attitude, come under the umbrella and join the GA and treat the girls the same, I think the better. Just like any senior camogie player should have to pay for an injury uh, or wait for money to come back. She should be treated the same as the, the senior hurling men. No, and so say all of us. Um, now, the last thing that we will look at tonight on the podcast, uh, Ronnie, is 1920, we had the All-Ireland Football Final pairings of Dublin and Cavan and Mayo and Tipperary. I wasn't around back then for the game myself. I know you weren't available at that time to commentate for KCNR back in 1920. But the year that we've had, it's thrown up some mental results and mental things have happened and obviously the COVID thing. But we've, we've, we've got a reenactment of the 1920 All-Ireland Final or All-Ireland Semi-Finals for this weekend. We've Dublin against Cavan up first and then we've got Mayo versus Tipperary. Um, I won't delve into the, into the depths of the, the two games, which it in two in depth, but I suppose Dublin and Cavan, the, the bookies are giving Dublin a 13-point handicap in that game. So they're saying that Cavan will lose by a minimum of 13 points. Do you think that's probably about right? Um, I enjoy football. I love football. Played football at a level acceptable in Kenny. So I'm certainly no expert. Um, but I have uh, had rubbings and shoulders with a lot of good footballers because in the Bank of Ireland we play sport at, at top level we've a lot of top footballers and hurlers and uh, I, in the Dublin setup, we know some of the guys the small John Small and those guys particularly that play with Dublin at the minute I've had the unfortunate being involved with the Kilkenny Miners and came across Kieran Kilkenny and Carl McCoslow and these guys when they were hurlers um, for Dublin Miners and they were excellent that year the one bloody year that I had two years I was involved in they turned out to be great hurlers as well and they didn't stay at hurling so um, look, is it the year of the fairy tale the football world? It's great to see Cavan get there. Look, if anyone that knows anything about football surely has to say that this is Cavan journey's over. I hope it's not over like everyone else. Could you see Dublin uh, being uh, beaten Cavan by more? Yeah, you could, but I think I'll go and hope that Cavan get beat by a lot less than 15 points. I don't know enough about football to comment uh, about the Cavan performance and the Dublin performance, but you look, the Dublin team are an extremely well-oiled machine. We all know that. 15 subs in Dublin we get to any football team in the country. So, look, it's Dublin's to lose, but is there a fairy tale ending for Cavan? Not in this case. No, I don't think so. I think it's a case of Dublin um, driving on and appearing in their $6 and final in a row and going for $6. But um, um, you'd hope for everyone's sake that Cavan are closer than 13 points. Yeah, and a bigger I'm... interest in the second one, of course, because yeah. would you believe I, I know Keith Higgins very well. Again, we don't start working Bank of Ireland. Keith Higgins works with us. I've been on a few memorable trips with Keith Higgins. This guy is a serious hurler now as well, would you believe? Now, he's not in, he's not, I don't think he's making the 26 at the minute. He's not gone off the panel. He's one of these guys on the loose end. Could he come back in the, in the next match or two? I hope so. A brilliant footballer. And then I, I, I know uh, the Tipperary set up uh, reasonably well, would you believe? A great friend of Mr. Lambert. He's mentioned the same uh, breadth as uh, Declan Brown. He was an extremely brilliant footballer uh, for Tipperary over the years and he'd uh, tell me how good he was uh, for the last 20 years and how good Tipperary football is. And John Kennedy, who was a brilliant hurler for Tipperary in the past, John is a good friend of ours as well and mine as well. He's three signed with Tipperary footballers the weekend. Um, Coleman is one of them, Seamus. No, it's not Seamus. I can't think of the other two boys' names. And so... I've had reason to be speaking to them. This is a fairy story for Tipperary football, for sure. And being our neighbours, and I suppose um, to think that they're equally now as Berlin and football in 2020, 
is a great story for the Tipperary football fraternity because, as I said, they do play. They are the lesser game in Tipperary. The number one game in, is in um, uh, in Tipperary is hurling. Is there a surprise here? I think this is where the surprise could be. Um, while we all want Mayo and love to see Mayo winning in Ireland, um, are they the only team maybe beat Dublin? Possibly. But if there's a surprise to happen the weekend, I suppose it is the Tipperary footballers. There's a huge belief. They have a tremendous belief in their coach, uh, Young Power. And um, they've done so well the last day in beating Cork. Cork obviously forgot that they had to play after uh, Tipperary after playing uh, Kerry in the semi final. Um, again, you'd suspect that it's Mayo ever to see a decent All Ireland, to see a decent All Ireland. Probably people want to see a Mayo Dublin All Ireland. So from that point of view, uh, no one will begrudge Mayo get to an All Ireland. Everyone wants to see. It's like Watford winning the hurling All Ireland. Everyone wants to see Mayo, the whole of Ireland. They were shouting for Watford next week outside of Limerick, and the whole of um, uh, the country are shouting for Cavan. But the country will be divided on the second uh, football semi final. There'll be a lot die hard to see Mayo, but the the, the dreamer want to see Tip winning, and there's where the surprise could be. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I take your point on the football there, and Shane, Shane likes to mock me on the radio there uh, with my predictions. He, he kind of gets a bit of fun out of it. What I would say is the Dublin Cavan game, the bookies have that one fairly covered at thirteen points. Cavan will be extremely defensive, and from my experience of Dublin football over the last fifteen years, the worst thing you can physically do is go out and set up to be defensive against Dublin because you're just opening them up to them come at you and carve you open you might last 20 minutes you might last 40 minutes but ultimately you'll, you'll be put to the sword and I think I think what will happen in the Dublin Cavan game is Cavan will try and turn it into a horrible ugly match slow it down do everything to annoy Dublin but ultimately as you rightly said there's 15 Dublin subs that make every other team in the country and I think I think Dublin I hope they don't but I think they could steamroll these and I think the 13 point handicap will be well covered by Dublin and into the second game the Mayo tip game we're all getting a bit carried away with Tipperary this year. They did beat Cork and hats off to them. It was fabulous. Cork should never have beaten Curry in the first round of the championship. They should never have been in that Munster final in the first place. I don't know what Curry were at setting up the way they did. I thought it should have been Curry and Dublin in the All-Ireland final this year. But it goes to show you, if you don't respect the team you're going out to play, you'll get put out of a championship fairly quick. Knockout, straight knockout in the football. And that's what put Curry to pay was not respecting Cork. Cork in turn then, I think, did not give Tipperary respect or enough respect. And David Power, and in fairness to him, he's a cracking coach. He had these boys ready to take advantage of it. They kicked on and done the business. But I'm telling you, you're coming up against Mayo now. This is a different this is a different ball game, a different proposition. Mayo are two or three points off Dublin and two or three all Ireland finals. They're, they're without question the second best football team in the country. And I think I think the fairy tale is over for Tipperary come this weekend because by God. We all know how, how bad Mayo want. They are hungry for it. And I, I, geez, I really hope it, it'd be the best end to 1920 or the 2020, the year of the COVID, if that bloody goose could let, the, the monkey could get off Mayo's back and it could bring Sam Maguire home. I think everybody in Ireland, part of people of Galway, would be thrilled to see that happening. So, as you rightly said, so we're all hoping for a fairy tale ending, a Watford and a Mayo for an All Ireland. If something finished, you'd have, <laughs> hey, you'd have the whole country celebrating with both of them. We'd be in some trouble then with COVID after January because we have a lot of good Mayo up in this parish here and a lot of their ladies, most of them, um, uh, living in this parish and they support Mayo. They put up the Mayo flag every year for the last couple of years and they're the butt of some of our jokes. So, I, um, hey, what a finish to 2020. An unusual year. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see a Watford and a Mayo victory in, in an unusual year? 
Yeah, no, definitely, Ronnie. It'll be somewhere at the end. Of, I think run out to the bookies now and stick your fiver down on, on water for the Mayo and, and make it a financial bonus at the end of the year. Look, Ronnie, thanks a million for your time there this evening. That was episode two of The Clash Act. Uh, I was delighted to be joined there by Adrian Ronan. Ronnie, thanks very much for your time there, and I look forward to talking to you again over the next couple of weeks, and hopefully you'll enjoy the two big games coming up. Okay, thanks a million, and the best of luck, boys. Thanks a million, Eddie.